Well, today we're finishing up a series entitled Innocent. We're looking at Jesus as he was brought ultimately before Pilate. And as we looked at the last couple of weeks, we saw Judas, who had been the one that betrayed Jesus, Judas in exchange for 30 pieces of silver. He uh, told the chief priest where they could find Jesus so they could arrest him by night. And Judas would come back himself and he would try to return the money. And he said that he had betrayed innocent blood. That's the first declaration that we see here about the innocence of Jesus. And the second is Pilate himself. Pilate, who was a Roman governor at that time, and we think about what, what does that mean? Uh, Pilate, you may think of some high-level uh, Roman official, but he was not. Pilate was not like a president. Pilate was not even like a state governor today. In the Roman Empire, that area of Israel was just an insignificant place, and Pilate was just there to do the will of the empire. Pilate's a pretty low-level person in the overall scope of the Roman Empire. And so Pilate finds himself in a difficult situation because Pilate basically has one job. Pilate's one job is to keep the people under control and paying taxes. And so he's there to keep the peace, and the peace that they keep is through force with the soldiers. And so he's there to keep the peace, keep the people in line, and keep the taxes rolling in to the Roman Empire. So Pilate finds himself in a difficult position because the Jews want to crucify an innocent man named Jesus. And as Pilate interviews Jesus and Pilate, who have already been aware of what Jesus had been saying and doing throughout the country, he realizes that Jesus is completely innocent. And so Pilate doesn't want to crucify this man who he knows has committed no crime worthy of anything capital or, for that matter, any crime at all. But he's in a difficult spot because the Jewish leaders have instigated a mob. And his one job, remember, is to maintain order and control and keep taxes flowing. And so Pilate has to choose whether he's going to allow this to happen or whether he's going to pick his battles with the local Jewish leaders or whether he's going to let an innocent man be crucified. And everything that Pilate says and does reveals that Pilate knows that Jesus is innocent. And so Pilate tries to find a way out by offering the crowd the option to release either a man named Barabbas or to release Jesus. Essentially what Pilate does is he tries to find just a neutral position and let the people decide. But what Pilate will find out is that there, there's no neutral ground with Jesus. Uh, and the same is true for us today. We have to make our decision whether we're either with him or not. Either we trust in him or we don't. Either we believe or we don't. In fact, the Bible all throughout the New Testament presents the kingdom of God in very polarizing terms. There's light and dark. There are those who are spiritually dead and those that are spiritually alive. And Jesus himself, in a passage that we'll look at later in the message, he told his disciples one time, when they came to him and said, this man over here is doing ministry, but he's not with us. And Jesus said basically this. He said, listen, he's either for us or against us. There is no middle ground. He said, don't, don't hinder what that man is doing. He is with us. So today as we look at this passage about Pilate, 
And you and I have to think about what does it mean that Jesus was, was without sin? What does that mean that we should do? Well, I think you understand that, that you, just, you just can't be neutral. You have to decide which side you're on. Either follow Jesus or not. And I pray that your decision will be to follow him and to follow him with all your heart. Matthew chapter 27, verse 24 is where we pick up today. Would you join me in standing just out of honor and reverence for God's word as we read our main scripture passage? Matthew chapter 27, beginning in verse 24. It says, So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Let's pray together. Father, help us to understand Pilate's decision, the mistake that he made. And Father, may we choose at any cost to follow your son. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, no murderer is innocent, neither was Pilate. Pilate realizes that Jesus has not committed any crime. And so, therefore, to crucify him is not capital punishment, it's, it's murder. Everything Pilate said and did reveals that he knew that Jesus was, was innocent. And so, in verse 24 that we just read, notice what it says. So, when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, gaining nothing, so what was it that Pilate was trying to gain? Well, he was trying to gain the release of Jesus, this innocent man. In fact, he had appealed four times to the crowd to release Jesus. The first is in verse 17 that we looked at last week. And there it says in verse 17, so when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, who do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus who is called Christ? Now, we know that the Bible says that Barabbas was a notorious prisoner. A pilot no doubt chose Barabbas because such a contrast with Jesus, he thought nobody would release Barabbas and leave Jesus in prison. And so he brings out Barabbas and Jesus, hoping the crowd will release Jesus. But then when they respond to release Barabbas, in verse 21, listen to what it says, the governor again said to them, again said to them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. So that's the second time that Pilate. Pilate asks. He doesn't get the answer he's hoping for, so he asks again. And then in verse 22, here's the third plea. Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? And they said, all said, let him be crucified. And Pilate said, well, what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? He was looking for an answer other than crucifixion. And then verse 23 said, fourth time here, fourth time he appeals to the mob. He says, and he said, why? What evil has he done? It's very clear that, that Pilate doesn't see any evil in Jesus. They all shouted the more, let him be crucified. You see, the problem for Pilate was that freeing an innocent man was just too politically expensive. There was no room in the Roman Empire for governors that allowed riots so notice verse 24 it says so when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing but rather that a riot 
was beginning. Pilate feared that he was going to have a riot. He's going to make him look bad to the Romans. There had already been several uprisings in Jerusalem. So Pilate is afraid to do what he knows is right. You know that following Jesus always comes at a high cost. In the case of Pilate, he wasn't even considering following Jesus. He is just considering doing what he knows is right. Letting an innocent man be released. But it's just too expensive. Jesus himself would talk about the cost of following him. Here's what Jesus said in Luke chapter 14, verse 27. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. In the first century, everybody knew the only reason for a person to take up and bear a cross was to carry it to their crucifixion. But Jesus wasn't saying that literally that we need to be crucified or even put to death. But what he was saying is that there are things in our life that are going to have to be put to death. And things in our life that are going to have to be suppressed and made secondary to him if we're going to follow. Jesus is not looking to come alongside you. He's looking to lead you. And so verse 28, Jesus says, For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So all these are examples that Jesus is giving about counting the cost and understanding that if you're going to follow through something, it's going to cost you something. So then he says in verse 33, So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. There's a high cost for following Jesus. He wants to be the first priority in our life. He calls us to seek first the kingdom of heaven and everything else to be secondary. So Pilate, who's not even considering following Jesus, he's just considering whether to crucify an innocent person or not. He's simply not willing to pay the cost. So the only thing that it takes to change Pilate's mind is to see a riot beginning. Pilate tried to wash his hands of murder, but, it, but it's not possible. The Bible tells us in verse 24 what he did. It says, so when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourself. The ceremonial hand washing goes all the way back to the earliest parts of the Old Testament. In fact, in the Old Testament, when uh, the nation of Israel had not even went into the promised land yet, God was giving them instructions about how to live in this new land through Moses. And here's what he told them. He said, if you were to find a person who had been slain and nobody knows anything about it, then you're to measure and you're to find the closest town and the elders from that town are to come out and they're to, they're to uh, slaughter a heifer. And, and here's what he says they're to do. Deuteronomy 21.6. 
And all the elders of that city nearest to the slain man shall wash their hands over the heifer whose neck was broken in the valley and shall testify, our hands did not shed this blood, nor did our eyes see it shed. So, so the Lord had told them, this is the way that you plead innocence over murder. You're to take this animal out, you're to sacrifice it, and then the elders are to wash their hands, and this washing of hands is symbolizing that they have, they have clean hands. And so they, they testify that we didn't have anything to do with this murder, and we don't know anything about this murder. And it was not just the Jews that practiced this, but the, the symbolism is just so obvious that different cultures use this. And so Pilate, when he brings out the water and he washes his hands in front of the people, he is, he is telling them that I'm innocent of this. I don't have anything to do with this. But that's an absolute lie. Because only Pilate has the authority to order crucifixion. You see, the Jews were given a certain amount of freedom to rule in certain ways under the thumb of the Roman Empire. But one of the things that they could not do is they could not sentence anyone to be executed. That's why they needed Pilate to go along with their plan. And Pilate, who knows Jesus, Jesus is innocent, he comes out before the crowd. And when he's not been able to persuade them, a man who's a politician who survives by maneuvering politically, he's not able to swing the crowd. And so then he brings out this water and he washes his hand and says, I am innocent of this man's blood see to it yourself the reality is it may have been Pilate who allowed Jesus to be crucified but it was our sin that made it necessary listen to the Old Testament prophet Isaiah who is prophesying about what would happen on this occasion with the Messiah Isaiah 53 verse 5 it says, but he was pierced, talking about Jesus. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And listen to this. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us Pilate said I'm innocent but Pilate was not innocent and you and I are not innocent either you see Jesus was not a victim of Pilate nor of the Jews Jesus had the ability at any moment to just speak a word and end the life of everyone in that place he had the ability he just informed Peter the night before to call on the father and he would send legions of angels to deliver him but Jesus, who literally had all the power in the world, exercised none of it because he went willingly to lay down his life in our place for our transgressions. Pilate shows us that no, no murderer is innocent. And we see the response of the crowd. We realize that betting against Jesus, which is what they did, is a very high-stakes gamble. Notice what the crowd says in verse 25. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. 
the crowd accepted responsibility and pronounced a curse on their own children because they believed there was nothing to fear. They thought that Jesus was guilty of sin. They thought that Jesus was guilty of the very things that the high priest had accused him of. They thought there was no danger in taking on his blood on themselves and even pronouncing it on their children. It, it would be like today if someone said to me after the service, said, Pastor, I bet you a million dollars I can ride my bicycle from here to Los Angeles, California in 30 minutes. I'd say, yeah, I'll take that bet. I would make it 10 million. I mean, any amount you want, whatever you can come up with, because I know there's no possible way that anybody can do that. It is not possible. And this is the confidence of the mob that day as they cry out for Jesus to be crucified. And Pilate says, listen, I am innocent of this man's blood. And they say, oh, well, you just let his blood be on us and on our children. They're, they're betting against the innocence of Jesus. And they think there's nothing to fear. Many people have misunderstood this passage as a perpetual curse on the Jewish nation. In fact, throughout history, sometimes people have used this passage as support for persecution against the Jews. But that's not at all what is happening here. First of all, that, that little crowd that was gathered that day, early in the morning, probably handpicked by the Jewish Sanhedrin, they couldn't speak for the nation. Remember that all of the early apostles and all of the early Christians were all Jews. This is no curse on the Jewish nation. It was those people that that day that said, we take his blood on us and on our children. They did this because they thought there was absolutely nothing to fear. And do you know what Jesus said about what we have to fear in the future? Matthew chapter 13, verse 41, Jesus was talking about the judgment to come. And here's what he says. The son of man, and, and if you're not familiar, that's Jesus' favorite way to refer to himself as the son of man. It's a reference to a prophecy in the book of Daniel. And Jesus was claiming to be the Messiah by calling himself the son of man. The son of man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace, into that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus describes this place as a fiery furnace. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, some people think that when you die, you just cease to exist. Other people think that when you die, everyone goes to heaven. Do you know where we learn about heaven? In the Bible. And if we're going to believe what the Bible says about heaven, why wouldn't we believe what the Bible says about hell? In the book of Revelation, the apostle John, God revealed to him what was to come. And here's what he says. He says, then I saw a great white throne. I don't know if you're aware, but the Bible speaks about two judgments to come. There is the great white throne judgment, which is for everyone who has refused to accept the forgiveness that Christ offers. The other is the Bema seat. And that's that Bema, that's a, a reference to the, to the Olympics when they were awarded medals. At the, at the Bema seat judgment, as is described here, it's where there would be rewards 
and loss of rewards. For those of us that have been forgiven, our sins will not be held against us, but God will call us to account for what we've done with our life. And so John here describes this great white throne judgment. He says that I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. The next time that someone says to you, well, when I see God, I'm going to have a thing or two to say to him. You might want to read them this verse. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Notice what it says, great and small. On that day, presidents and paupers will be standing in the same line together, great and small. The Bible talks about the books that God records everything. And it says, then another book was opened, which is the book of life. The book of life is where God writes our name when we receive the forgiveness of Christ. And the dead were judged by what is written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This is the revelation that God gave John. Jesus spoke about it in Matthew and throughout many places in the New Testament. The Bible describes what is to come. On that day, there was a group of people who thought they had nothing to fear, and they simply said, well, let his blood be upon us and be upon our children. And they bet against the innocence of Jesus. It's a very high-stakes gamble, but many people today are taking the same bet. Many people today think there's nothing to fear. Either when we die, we're just going to cease to exist and nothing's going to matter anymore. Or when we die, we're just all going to go to heaven. Or when we die, we're going to reincarnate as something else. People teach all kinds of different things about what's going to happen when we die. But here's what I want you to understand. It doesn't matter what you believe or what you're very persuasive in arguing. When you die someday, reality is just going to take over. And God has revealed to us what this reality is. Is that if we don't accept the forgiveness of Christ... And we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, this great white throne judgment. And the Bible tells us that this lake of fire, it wasn't created for us. The Bible says it was created for Satan and all the angels that rebelled with him. But if you and I refuse to receive the gift of forgiveness that Christ paid for on the cross, there's nowhere else else for us to go than for us to go and try to pay for a, pay, a debt that we can never pay off. This is why hell is an everlasting place. But friend, when you come to put your faith in Christ, you don't have anything to fear any longer. This is not a place for us. The great white throne is a line that we won't be in. On that day, that crown they looked at Jesus as Pilate said, what has he done? Why would we crucify him? And they said, crucify him. His blood be on us and on our children. 
you don't want to wager your whole life and all eternity on the hope that the Bible is not true. We need to put our faith and our trust in Christ. What Pilate would find out that day is that there's no neutral ground with Jesus. Pilate didn't want to execute him, but he didn't want to go against the Jews and set him free. So he tried to let the mob decide and then wash his hands of it as though we could do this with Jesus, but we cannot. In verse 26, it says, Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. I don't know if you know what it means to be scourged. In the first century, when people read this gospel, everyone would have known. A scourging is what took place before somebody was crucified. It involved being beaten with a whip. And this is not some uh, whip like you might imagine from a Western movie you've seen or something like that. The Romans had a whip that had several strands of leather, and they would, they would sew pieces of bone and stone and metal into those straps so that when they whipped a person with that strap, those stones would beat them, bones would catch, and they would tear as they would rip it apart. Everyone knew what scourging is. But in the New Testament, the Bible doesn't focus on the horrors of Jesus' death. It just gives us one word. It says, and they scourged him. Do you know why? Because the Bible's not concerned with the horrific details of the torture of Jesus. It concerns itself with the meaning of Jesus' death. And the meaning is found in that he was innocent and didn't deserve to die. That's why he's able to take your place. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but Jesus never committed any sin, so he didn't owe those wages. When he died on the cross, he died in our place. And we have to decide whether we believe or whether we don't. The passage that I referenced earlier, let's read it now. Mark chapter 9, verse 38 John, this is the apostle John. John said to him, teacher, he's speaking to Jesus. Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. And we tried to stop him because he was not following us. So, so John is concerned. Here's somebody over here doing ministry, but they weren't one of the 12. And, and they weren't a following with Jesus. And here's what Jesus says. But Jesus said, do not stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. And listen to this summary statement. For the one who is not against us is for us. Here's what Jesus teaches us. There's only two sides. You're either for Jesus or against him. I know there's, there's a lot of different churches today and they, they believe different things in different areas. Uh, some, some churches uh, baptize a little bit different from we do. Uh, I'm not going to say that's, that it's not an important issue. It is an important issue, but it doesn't determine which side you're on with Jesus. Uh, there's, there's people that believe different things, but as long as we're in agreement about the gospel, that is the good news about how a person's saved, uh, there's only two sides. And if they're not against Jesus, they're with us. Jesus said, if they're not against us, they're for us. There's only two sides. There's no neutral ground. You don't get to wait until after death to see what happens and then decide. You have to make your choice. Either you trust in Jesus or you don't. Either you believe or you don't. You say, Pastor, I'm not ready to make that decision yet. 
Well, that's, that may be true, but you need to understand this. Uh, no for now is still no. You've already made your decision at the moment. And you will not have forever to change your mind and put your faith and trust in Christ. There's a time coming for every single one of us that only the Lord knows when our days are going to end. And you say, well, I'm young. I still got decades left. You don't know that. Uh, we do funerals here for young people all the time. You could have a rare form of cancer. You could die in a, in a car accident. Uh, anything can happen to you. Now, you don't know that you have decades left. So I want to encourage you to decide which side you're on. Either choose Jesus or face the consequences. You see, God loves you so much. That's why he sent his son to die. The only reason that Jesus went to the cross was for you and for me so that we could be forgiven. And you can say, well, I, I'm never going to speak evil about Jesus. I think Jesus is a good teacher. I think Jesus is a good person. I like the church. I like going to church. I don't have anything against the church. I'm not against Jesus. Friend, you, you're, you're either all in or not in. You have to decide whether you're going to put your faith and trust in him for salvation or not. Pilate, Pilate tried to stay in the middle and play every side. And he found out there's simply no neutral ground with Jesus. So I encourage you today to choose Jesus. Put your faith and your trust in him. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that today that, that we know that you love us beyond our understanding. You looked through history, you saw our sin, and still you sent your son to die for us in our place. God, I pray if there's anybody here, anybody that's watching or listening to our broadcast that's never understood or believed this, I pray today they'll put their faith and their trust in you. For it's in your son's name that we pray.